In 2018, we planted Center Point Church and we sent out a group of 45 people from our church to launch the effort. I was just with them. And there are several from our church family who are there this morning just to celebrate with them and to stay after for a picnic. Um, but there were 148 people there this morning. And God be praised for what's going on there. This morning, we celebrate it together here at Calvary. It's something that God did through us. Many of you faithfully gave. Remember, we put $50,000 in assets to put in the school to launch the effort that the school uses as well. It's a win-win on several fronts. Again, we gave 45 people to the effort, and it's taking flight and taking off. Now they are an autonomous church. I want to preach a message this morning that I just preached there. And I, I do, I realize, Jason, even as I'm trying to figure out entirely, I put you in a very awkward place. Thank you for your grace this morning to, to uh, do that. This spring, I fell in the dark down 12 stairs on March the 28th. In my recovery, I got cards from a lady named Leela Zirkel. Now, Leela is not unlike um, Bonnie Schinkel, who makes these masterpieces of cards and sends them out. They're really beautiful, if you've ever received one. Uh, Leela, I, I hadn't heard from Leela in a while. I was her pastor for 20 years in a former venue in Springfield, Ohio. And I opened the mail. Here's a card from Leela. She's now working through her 90s. But it's just Leela. It's what she does. She makes them. She thinks about the person, she prays for them, and she mails them. That's, that, and then rinse and repeat. That, that's, that's what she does. And she would say that's her service offered unto the Lord. That's a regular discipline. It shows her heart. It's what she's like. Leela, well, Leela's a sender. She sends things out. If we want to understand the God of the Bible, we need to understand that the God of the Bible is a sender. He's a sender. John 17, 18, Jesus praying to the Father, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. 1 John 4, 14, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If we want to be a God-like church, we will be a sending church. John 3, 17, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Are we getting the picture? First John 4, 9. God is a sender. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Sending drives the heart of God. Eric, what explains Christmas? Why is there Christmas? Because God was committed to send his only unique son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What is the meaning of the incarnation, the coming of Jesus? It means God sent his son as a gift for fallen humanity to bring healing and restoration and wholeness and forgiveness and hope and life. 
Now this morning, I want to do two things. I want to answer the question that has been raised by people I love and good congregants who love the ministry here at Calvary Baptist Church. Here's the question. Why did we send some of the best we had at Calvary out the door to plant a church? I want to answer that question first. That's point one. Number two, I want to talk about the future. For us, Calvary Baptist Church, the future for Centerpoint Church. I want to make the assertion and defend it from Scripture that the future belongs to churches that keep on watching and keep on sending. So that's the plan of attack this morning. Number one, why did we send some of the best we had out the door to plant a church? Now, since it's just us kids here, let's be honest. The question was raised. The question was raised by good folks who love the Lord and love this ministry. Now, in the midst of Calvary's 100-year history, I think some could make the argument, let's leave the judgment to God, that four and a half years ago was a measure of, as things go at Calvary, a little bit of a discouraging moment. So what does Mounts do? He's here six months. He gets 45 people in a side room and announces, hey, we're going to give them away to plant a church. Are you kidding me? We've had other good people whom we love walk out the door, and your first act is to stir up 45 more to walk out the door? What kind of leadership is that? It's a wonder I wasn't shot in that first year. And they were good questions. It wasn't from people who don't like the gospel and don't love our Lord. It's people who love our ministry, who love what God is doing, and who want a good future for this place, and who are reaching for it. And it's like scratching their head, mounts, what in the world is going on? Why did we send them? First thing to say, of course, is indeed we did. Calvary sent out a wonderful group of people to start Centerpoint Church. 1992, after amateur U.S. Olympic basketball teams had been beaten up on the global stage, America mounted an effort to send our best professionals and quit sending amateurs to the Olympics to play. So no names like Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and a host of others, Hall of Famers, played on this 1992 Barcelona basketball team. It is said to be the greatest basketball team ever assembled. In fact, uh, they flew to Barcelona, got off the plane, got to the gym, and uh, threw out a ball and had a pickup game that is described as the greatest pickup game in the history of basketball. No one could believe what they were seeing as they saw it on the court. Why, here you had on one team, all of the goats, the greatest of all time, were on one team. They smoked the competition, won the gold medal, and came home. I want you to know, that it wasn't just anybody that we pushed out the door. We sent out a wonderful group of people and a group of people on the launch team who had been strategic lay leaders through the years. In fact, one of the things I found out after I got here in 2017 was that in 2008, on one of the weirdest Sundays of the privilege that God has given me in pastoral ministry, um, Bill Sherrard and Teresa and Darren and Jen Varnado were at Southgate Baptist Church 
as a part of a search query from Calvary Baptist Church, checking out this pastor, Eric Mounts, to see if the church should pursue him or not. It coincided with the Sunday where, longer story made real short, our son was ill in college and came home. We took him to the hospital. They missed a hot appendix. It ruptured on Sunday morning, and we realized it, took him to the emergency room and realized they're going to take him off the surgery. And so I pray with him, and I said, Caleb, while you're in surgery, I'll be at church, and when you get out, I'll be here. And so they rush him. So I run into church. I preach this message and then run back to the hospital. And in God's mercy, he preserved Caleb. But um, that's what the Sherrards and the Varnados remember about that message, which probably says a lot about the message and why I didn't hear too many follow-up calls after that, which is a real, uh, that's my favorite part of the story. But it's an illustration of the fact that not just anybody went out the door. In a former generation, we used to sing an old hymn, had a bad droning hymn tune, but man, it was a good, good set of lyrics. Give of your best to the master. Give of the strength of your youth. Clad in salvation's full armor, join in the battle of truth. I'll tell you what, we sent out our best. Sent out people central to our leadership. That was a launch group. By the way, J.D. Greer says, the church is not an audience to be entertained. It is an army to be empowered. The large crowd will not change the world. The mobilized force of spirit-filled believers will. Now, here's the answer to the question. Come to Matthew 25, and I want to prove it to you. We sent them out so that Calvary would not be wicked and idle. What do you make of that? Come with me to Matthew 25. Jesus told stories. Here's a great story about the parable of the talents. A manager who had servants was going away on a long trip. He called his servants in. Three are highlighted. He gave one five talents. He gave another servant three talent, two talents. He gave another servant one talent. The, and he left. He said, you steward these while I am gone. These are gifts I've given you. The guy with five immediately turned it into ten by investing it. The guy with two immediately turned it into four. The guy with one immediately buried it in the yard. He was afraid of his master, knew him to have expectation that he was going to use his talent. The language that Jesus uses in the story for the master addressing the servant who buried his talents is striking. Let me read it to you. Let me pick up the narrative at 2520. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Have I made five talents more? His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, he also who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. And by the way, isn't that what we all want to hear? Don't we want corporately to hear that from Jesus Christ on the great day as a church? Calvary Baptist Church, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, 
who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Two extraordinary terms. You knew that I reap where I had not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This story is striking, but this story answers why we did what we did. Shall we bury our talents? Or shall we invest them in the work of our Lord? Wicked at the heart of this notion is the notion of labor. The term has the notion of labor and wicked. The guy was working at being wicked. How? By burying his talents and not using them. Slothful, shrinking back, timid, hesitant. It's the verb used in Romans 12, 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. By the way, what, what kind of shape is your zeal in this morning? What kind of shape is mine in? Hoarding talents according to Jesus is wicked and indicative of the slothful. Why send these people out? Because God is a sender, and it's what good churches do. And we wanted not to be wicked nor slothful. Now, Let's talk about the future for Calvary Baptist Church, the future for Center Point Church. The future belongs to churches that keep on watching and keep on sending. The days ahead will belong to God's people who keep watching for God's people and who keep reaching for those who have not yet come to be God's people. Come with me to two passages and we'll finish three thoughts. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. The Apostle Paul is headed back to Jerusalem where he knows he's going to be uh, arrested. They will take him to Jerusalem, which will give him the opportunity to share the gospel every place he goes as he heads toward Jerusalem. He calls for the leaders in Ephesus to have a meeting with him on the beach in Miletus. And what he tells them is extraordinary. And I want to lift the central challenge to the elders and bring it to the church here today. It's Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So the charge is pay close attention. Look out for this. What? 
pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. What are we supposed to do? To care for the church of God. The future belongs to churches who are going to watch for the flock and care for the flock. Now, I want you to fold that into your heart, and let's turn to one other passage. It's Paul's personal challenge to Timothy, and it sounds very much the same, but let's use it as a challenge to our church, these two verses side by side. 1 Timothy 4.16. If 1 Timothy 4.16, here's Paul to Timothy. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourselves and your leaders. What was one of Paul's summing challenges of Timothy? Timothy, you do two things. You keep a watch on your own heart, and you keep a watch out for your people. The future belongs to churches that are going to keep a watch over their own hearts, a watch over their own teaching, and a watch over their own people. Let's consider that together. Let's unpack three concentrations for watching and sending. First, a good church watches out for people. Christmas night, Luke 2.8, the shepherds were out in the field. What were they doing? Keeping watch over their flocks by night. This watch-keeping it's an agrarian term, a farming term. It's shepherds. It's saying, hey, watch out for the sheep. Tend to the sheep. Watch over the sheep, the people of our Lord. When Peter writes to the elders in 1 Peter 5, 1, 2, and 3, verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. A good church watches out for people shepherd, pastor. It's a farming term. I grew up milking Jersey cows at Uncle Dick's Jersey Dairy. We were right next to a very uh, 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 generational family who had milked Jer Jerseys as well, Young's Jersey Dairy. And just playfully, they had Young's Dairy. We called ours Wilt Dairy. But anyway, um, I love that. And the milk house is just a glorious place for great conversation, even as the, the surge you know, thunders in the background constantly with a drone. It's still a great place for conversation. I loved it. I learned so much. What I didn't realize was that God was smuggling into my heart what he was calling me to do for the rest of my days as I was in the milk house with my uncle, watching him care for the herd. He had bred them all. He knew all their sires. He knew, their, he knew the dams. He knew the bloodlines. He, he bred for optimal uh, results and Jersey girls are really good at giving high butter fat, especially if you get the right bloodlines going. And he was on test once and it had one of the highest butter fat herds in the state of Ohio. And he was a wonderful guy and he knew all their names. That, when I first got in the milk house, that was striking. And he would use them. I remember Duchess. Just to say it bluntly, Duchess was a nasty girl. She really was. Um, I'd get in there, and I learned early. She would kick the bucket over if I put the bucket in the wrong place to wash her teats off before I put the milker on. So I had to be real careful of the bucket. I didn't take the bucket in with me. And when I went in, I also had to realize that immediately I had to force her, uh, take her leg out of play. 
So whenever I went in there, I'd grab a hold of the pin in her hip, I'd push her over, and immediately stick my head down, put my head right in her head. She'd be in there working on me, and it was like, you know, going like this, and I'm trying to get the milker on. But she would not kick me, because if I'd go in there unsuspectingly and just saunter in there, she would rear back, and she'd nail me. And so, but I got wise to her, so we'd always have battle, but after a while, I learned how to battle her. But then I'd watch Uncle Dick come down, and it was, I, it was amazing to me. He'd come in there, and he'd say, hey, Duchess, I'm coming in. She would move over and let him in. <laughs> and if it's possible for a Jersey cow to smile, I swear I looked in the stanchion and saw a smile on her face. She was happy about it, but she knew his voice. In fact, I, I, I love those you know, 545 mornings, like June 21st. And um, we had, th th they were already up and grazing in the back pasture. And Uncle Dick, he'd go out and stand on the road, and he'd start calling them. When they first heard his voice, they'd start coming. The Alpha group would come, and then all of them would fall behind. And, and they, we'd just wait on them. He, they, they'd hear his voice. Oh, it's, uh, that's, pa he pastored that flock. That was his flock. He kept track of them. I want you to know that watching for the flock is tough business. We launched with 45 people in our small group to start Center Point Church. All the coaching that we got told us, what are you doing? That group's too small. You need 75 adults minimum to launch your church, we were told. That was one benchmark for one group. And we, were, we went with 45, and that was including every child we could count in the group. We knew our numbers were down. Watching for people is tough business. In the first year, 11 unexpectedly moved out of state of the 45. After one year, 14 left the effort. There were critics. We got down to 25 a Sunday for a few Sundays. Where is this thing going? Nobody knew. We just were holding on to the mercy of God and trying to take the next step and be obedient. I want you to know watching out for people is tough. One of our first baptismal candidates who got in that cattle trough and we baptized her was so joyful. She got out of the cattle trough and walked away from the faith as we watched out for her. Watching's not for the faint of heart. We watch to care, Acts 20, 28. I remember in Dallas, the Metroplex area, Dallas Theological Seminary had sent a lot of graduates out. There's some great preaching all over the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I was a first-year student. I thought, I'm going to sample some of it. And I went, I thought, oh, Schofield Memorial Church, they got to have a great preacher here. You couldn't find a place to park in a parking lot. I thought, man, this, this place is really going. And I went in. And the message may be coming across, not unlike this message to you this morning, it was average or less than average. And I was stunned. I thought, why are all these people here? This is okay. I've heard better in my arrogance, you know. I thought, I'm going to go back. Maybe just a bad Sunday. You know what? I went back for another average or a little less than average. And I thought, what's going on here? We'll hang around a little bit. Then I began to watch. And I watched that dear, 
godly brother with his leadership love that congregation. They didn't come there because of preaching. They came there because Neil led a group of leaders who watched out for the flock of God and they all knew that the leadership loved them. And that was enough for them. Who needs great preaching when you are loved and nourished by the sweetness of how we relate in God's family? A good church watches out for people. Two things have spurned Centerpoint Church along. One is Aaron and Meg Wilson and their ministry at Northern Kentucky University and bringing students to the church. I watched Adonis be baptized this morning in the cattle trough, a student at NKU. The other thing that has spurned the church along is Bill and Teresa Sherrard's friendships that they've had for years in this community that they just begin to leverage for Christ's sake and invited people to church. Neighbors, friends, kids, teams, parents that they've had. Those two things move the church forward. A good church watches out for people. A good church watches out for ideas that shape people's lives. Remember 1 Timothy 4.16, Timothy, watch out for yourself and your teaching. Now, the result is extraordinary. In so doing, you will preserve, you, are, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That the integrity of leadership's lives leads to the integrity of the faith of the people under their leadership. So their lives matter. Keep watch over yourself. But it's more than that. Keep watch over the ideas, the teaching, the doctrine is one word that's translated here for this term. That ideas matter. That ideally doctrine is not to fill our minds with uh, uh, Jesus trivia that it'll enable us to win games at the next, you know, who can answer this question in the Bible. Doctrine is for living. The learning is for living. That we understand who we are. We understand who God is. We understand God's world. And we understand how to live in God's world based on what he's revealed about himself. A good church watches out for ideas that shape people's lives. Isn't it amazing? God alone saves. But one of the means he uses in the process, a link in the chains, is the integrity of the leader. Timothy, watch out for yourself. And Timothy, watch out for your teaching. There out there is a body of understanding for how to plant a church. The tragic part is it works. It works if you're talking about drawing a crowd. Here's how to plant a church American style. Step one, blacken the auditorium. It's absolutely a must. Spirit of God cannot be at work in the church without a blackened auditorium. Get a light board and a light construct that, you know, would make Mick Jagger jealous and uh, turn it on the stage. There, there's a church I could tell you about. It's $6 million in the stage. And it's quite an experience to be there. And I realize we live in a visual age. It's not. Let's, let's go back to... Uh, you know, rock wheels, and then we'll really be good. Uh, black in the auditorium, get the right kind of lights. Oh, 
one thing that's a real necessity is a smoke machine. And make sure it has at least a 75-horse Evan route so you can really push that stuff out there and then get it in the lights and the lasers and, oh, man, it, it gets all going on. Of course, everybody on the worship team, you have to have skinny jeans. The Spirit of God cannot be at work unless they're all in skinny jeans and, of course, gourmet coffee. Okay, if it doesn't have to be Starbucks, just, just like a half, just get the gourmet coffee out there. A pastor with uh, good stories, uh, a little humor, don't preach too long. Um, just one of those 20-minute jobs, just like, like Jason did here, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm being playful. I'm so grateful for your help in the middle of me hanging you today. That's a recipe for practice. And guess what? In America, that works. But the question is, what do we have after it works? What's there? Jesus is not a vibe we create. It's a person we adore. He is a great Lord. That's who he is. George Marsden said, an evangelical historian of some renown, there is such a thing as a hipness unto death. I want to be relevant. I want to have excellence. I don't mind new things that are cutting edge. But new things that are cutting edge for itself and doing it better than Hollywood can do it in entertainment is not the same as the Spirit of God lifting up the beauty of the Son, Jesus Christ, that we all adore and begin to love him more than we love sin and our indulgence. J.D. Greer said this, Is this just the fad du jour of the contemporary church? Many churches today, lacking confidence in God's promise, substitute the gathering power of entertainment for the transforming power of the cross. Smoke and woofers can never do what one glimpse of Christ crucified can do. I have a buddy who's a politician who interacts in his jurisdiction with everybody building stuff. And, and this church built a big church in his area. And when it was all done, I said, hey, how was that? And he had interacted with all their leaders and interfaced as they applied for everything and moved forward with everything. I'd been sharing the Lord with this man for a long time. He said, I'll tell you what it was like. That church has everything. And I thought, well, that, that's good. But God, a good church watches out for ideas. On one launch meeting for Center Point Church, we beat around a draft of a church covenant. We, as members of Center Point Church, confess Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior. We acknowledge that we are not our own, but belong to our faithful Savior who fully paid for all of our sin, embracing his preservation of us through the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. We commit to pour our lives into the mission of this church. We covenant to faithfully support the church through generous gifts of service, money, and participation in the life of the church. We commit to participate in worship in our small group ministry. We embrace the church's values as our own. We commit to learn to love one another and resolve not to sin against each other, as we relate, as God has revealed for our good in his word, we recognize gender as an assigned in creation and revealed at birth, and we embrace God's construct for family, constituted as a permanent union of man, of a man and a woman. We renounce sin and embrace love for one another and neighbor, which covers sin. We commit to share burdens, support each other, and be a stimulus onto love and good works. We own the charge to seek an obedient life. We seek restoration for all while understanding the discipline 
for an unrepentant member after patient pursuit. We purpose to abstain from action that detracts from the glory of Jesus and leads our hearts to treasure things above Christ. We yearn to see others come to follow Christ and purpose to work in mission to reach for them here and around the world. We purpose to celebrate hope and life and love that is found in knowing Jesus Christ. We covenant to reach for these ideals and establish together such a community of faith as members of Center Point Church. We introduce a statement. We start talking about it. We had some pushback. That sounds like a pitch away from this cultural moment. And the pitchback was only from one. But we went after it a little bit. Keep watch over yourself and your teaching. It's amazing the ideas that are entertained out there that seep into places like in here. Watch over members. Watch over leaders. I was talking to a disillusioned couple who left the church after a tough experience in a small group, and it was just a hot mess, and they tried to get it fixed, and it didn't work, and they just up and left the church. I was talking to them. They said, you know what? You know the latest? Remember the leaders of our small group? Well, he has now come out on... Facebook as a transgendered woman and his wife has come out as a transgendered man and that's what they're doing now in marriage. They were the leaders of that small group. Now, by the way, you and I are not beyond folly and Satan grabbing a hold of us by the neck and taking us in the ditch and being someplace, you know, in a few months that we'd never imagine ourselves to be. But it made me wonder, how did they vet leaders for small groups at that church? Keep watch. Keep watch. Keep watch. Hey, you breathing? Get a pulse? You're in. Yep, you're in. Keep watch. Keep watch. Finally, a good church sends its people out to do mission week after week. John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Matthew 10, 16a, behold, I am sending you out. Psalm 127.4, it's a beautiful picture of parenting. It's glorious. I love it. The old children are heritage of the Lord. Verse 4, Psalm 127, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. It's a picture of a mom and a dad pulling those arrows out, sticking them in the bow, <laughs> launching them forth. And a vision that God is going to use us to take our children to places we never could have gone. And he's using us in the effort. Doesn't that take parenting to a noble vision of glory for what's there? In the same way, churches can send people out to places we couldn't go. Do you realize Centerpoint Church is doing things with their simple church model that we couldn't do? We are doing things that they cannot do. I told them this morning, look, our church is populated with people all over northern Kentucky. Here you have in the same neighborhood as their new pastor, Tyler Whitmer, uh, our extraordinary Jason Walsh, who preaches the most glorious 20-minute messages in the history of, uh, of uh, the church. They live in the same neighborhood. We're going to be reaching for people yet yeah, all throughout northern Kentucky. 
And they're going to reach people that they can reach, and we're going to reach people that we can reach that they couldn't reach. And there's no competition. There's no jurisdiction issues. We're in this together for the glory of God, and God in his mercy has allowed us to birth a baby that's grown up and it's taking off running now, and it's on its own. And it's a feather, not in my cap. One of the things that I realized early is that, um, and, and, and I didn't because I'm a proud man, I, I didn't take to this idea as it first dawned upon me, but um, the sooner I got out of the way, the better it was for that church. Sister, did you start with an amen on that? <laughs> um, I, I realized that I, I, God was calling me to get out of the way. We, we had, a, Andy had this extraordinary meal, uh, I don't know, three Januaries ago. We were laying out our strategy for outreach for the year, and we met after the meal. We sat there, and I said, hey, what do you guys think of this? And I threw out the idea, and it was a straw man. It was a beautiful straw man, too, by the way. But... Um, they, they, the, the conversation kind of halted. And finally, one of them said, and they all hated to say it, Eric, we'll do better if you'll get somebody else to be the identified leader of this group and take us forward. Which was another way of saying, Mounts, when are you going to get out of the way and give this away? And I did. I thought of John the Baptist. His job, I mean, he had a megachurch. And then his job was to preach himself out of the megachurch. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Don't follow him. And so John said, he must increase, I must decrease. And so that was a part of this. And it helped me realize that if any good thing happens at Calvary Baptist Church, if any good things happens at Center Point, it's not because of me. It's because the living Lord of glory chooses to use broken, messed up, forgiven people in this effort that's going to last forever of sharing Jesus Christ with others. And all we did was we, a good church sends out its people to do mission week after week. The mission is not just for their pastor now, Tyler Whitmer and Bill Sherrard, one of the elders. It's for everybody. Now, I've never been on a cruise. It, who knows what cruises are going to be, you know, here on out after COVID. Who knows? Whatever. Our lives are joyfully intertwined with people all the time. I love people. I love to bear their burdens and become aware of them and pray for them and ask for them. So when I get the vacation, I want to find the wilderness. I don't want to be with people. It, it's, it's not that I find what I do rude. It just... Like, I, I don't want to, and so here's Andy. Hey, I want to go on a cruise to Alaska. You what? You want to go on vacation with thousands of people we don't know in a confined space for a week, you know? Oh, but the, and then everybody describes the amenities, I'm told. And some of you could describe this so much better than I. I, I get this by proxy. All the food you could ever want to eat. Like, I need that at this season of my life, you know? Entertainment galore, theater, movies, exercise venues, waterworks on the ship, just shows, entertainment, ice cream shops, whatever you need to make a happy life and bring you pleasure is on the boat. That's a cruise ship. Now, a battleship's a completely different thing. 
A battleship has military assets on it. And its job is to head toward the scrimmage line. But look at Pearl Harbor. Battleships don't do well fighting on the deck. Battleships deploy assets right at the line of scrimmage to engage the conflict. By the way, are we trying to make a cruise ship here at Calvary Baptist Church? Or are we a battleship? Training our folks to leave the deck after we've been in the huddle and touch people's lives at the line of scrimmage. Why would we ever want to do that? Because God loved us and sent his son and invites us to be sent by him to invite others to this one who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's pray. And men, will you come to be in position to serve the Lord's table? Father in heaven, it's easy to preach, paint pictures with words. I love what you've called me to do. But I love it, Lord, when you use the word to have us understand the church and understand our role in your work in the world. Our lives are passing. Here we are, fresh off of uh, Jeff Stafford's funeral yesterday, reminded again that we all live for just a few days. Oh, Father, make our days count by deploying us off the deck of a ship and using us, even in spite of ourselves and through us, to make Jesus known, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. So here we are, Lord, at your table. That little shorthand from Paul just gets it all. Gospel Christianity is tied up with Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. Thank you for the broken body of Jesus. Thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. He poured out his life so that your life when we receive Christ could be poured into us. Lord, help us be motivated to be sent like Jesus, even by this time at the Lord's table this morning. We love you. Meet with us as we are with you at your table, Lord. I pray.